The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more, but you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome to another episode of Tag the Roll. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, colleague, and good friend, Zach Milner. We are coming at you just before the Final Four, or I guess a couple days before the Final Four. We have some time. Uh, women's Final Four is tipping tomorrow slash today, whenever you're listening to this. Um, or I guess we'll technically... You, you get the point. Final Four weekend. 
we have a lot to catch up on from Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, which is what we are here to do. Zach, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, baseball season started today, so just been watching some of that this morning, like in the background while watching film. I think it's it's great background stuff just to have on, look up, see a pitch or two, and then go back to watching film. So I'm happy to have baseball season here. But yeah, the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight gave us some awesome, awesome games, and I'm excited for the Final Four this weekend. Yeah, uh, FAU and San Diego State, the people in the Final Four that we always expected to be there. I will say, um, I don't really, like, I, it, it is, like, by definition, a Cinderella run for FAU to get here. But, like, I mean, it, I don't want to do the whole they were underseated thing, but eh, it could have been underseated. Like, I, I get to a degree, like, why they ended up where they were at. But, like, I don't, out of all the teams that could be here, I don't find FAU the most shocking with how well they've played and what they looked like this year. Yeah, they were they were very, very good this year from, from the beginning of the season. So it's not too, I mean, them being in the Final Four is surprising. Like, I'm not going to say it's not surprising at all. Yeah, it's surprising, no, like, it's but... surprising that they're here, but also, like, it's not like, uh, and this is not me trying to describe them. It's more just to say, like, this has been a really good basketball team. And I wish that it got talked about that more instead of, like, oh, this is such an upset. Like, they've just been really good. Yeah, but it's crazy, though, because if you're, like, sure, yeah, the whole Purdue loss, like, definitely made their road easier. Um, but also, like, their Memphis game, the 8-9 matchup, that first that first round, it was a one-point game where they were losing, I think, in the last minute or two and they ended up winning the game. Uh, they could have very easily lost in the first round of this thing also, and they're all the way now into the Final Four with a, a chance to to make it to the championship game. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a blast. I'm excited. Uh, very, I, I'm still riding for Miami, to be completely honest. I love watching this Miami team play basketball. Um, but that's not where we're going to start. We're going to talk about Gonzaga. We'll start with Gonzaga. Gonzaga's two games, obviously, against UCLA and UConn. UConn, the other team that has made the Final Four. Um, what Gonzaga takeaways do you have? I know we don't have a ton to dish on on them uh, because, obviously, like the prospects aren't necessarily you know, huge on this team. But, but what takeaways did you have from the UCLA and UConn game? Two very different games. Yeah, so I guess let's start off with like the UCLA game. An incredible game, by the way. Um, yes. Like, prospect, like ignoring the prospect side of things. It was just an awesome game. I feel like Gonzaga UCLA always delivers. We had it a couple of years ago with the final four matchup. That was one of the best games we've seen. And then this game, we almost, I mean, we had a crazy ending as well. Um, but on the, on the prospect side, I think with, with Julian Strother in general, I, you and I have talked about him a decent amount this year where he didn't really take that expected or, hopeful leap forward with his perimeter skills um, that that we wanted to see from him. But the more I watch him, I just think like he still, it's pretty easy to see how he's going to translate to the next level on the offensive side of the ball, even without being able to do a little bit extra perimeter skills, like still a really, really awesome shooter. Um, he shot 40% from three this year and in the, in the UCLA game, he hit three threes, obviously that game winner at the end of the game from NBA range, just showing the play. Um, but he also has a really, really awesome floater. And I, I you and I talked about it as well, where like floaters um, from year to year can have like small sample size. There's high variance in floaters, but I think his floaters last year and this year have had like a large enough sample size where I'm pretty confident saying he has this awesome touch on his floaters in general. This year, he's actually 56.2%, 50 for 89 on the floaters. 
Last year was 65% on 32 attempts. So I think just having him being able to shoot at his size and, and, and he showed the, the touch on floaters, whether it's attacking closeouts, coming off of DHOs or staggers, pin down, whatever, to get into the paint and get to his floater. We saw both of those in, in the UCLA and in the UConn game. I still am on the optimistic side of things with him on offense. Um, the defense is is where my concerns were last year, and they unfortunately haven't been answered this year. Um, but but yeah, where where did where did you think about his I guess games this weekend? UCLA, UConn, just in general, him as a prospect. Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, we glossed over that he hit the biggest shot that has been hit in March Madness this year. Uh, like that was nuts. The logo three pitch back, like just the riff off Villanova. Um, that was sick. And I think in, in, in essence, like that embodies a lot of what makes him interesting as a prospect. Like he has real range. He has a quick release. That's valuable stuff. And like you mentioned, like I, in terms of like getting to the rim and stuff, I'm like less enthused, but the actual like just touch in general and being fairly large as a wing who can shoot off movement, like that shit matters. Um, I think the biggest thing that I come back to is just like, I just don't know what he does well defensively. Um, I don't think that there's a single thing I can point to and be like, hey, he's good at that on defense. And that is a problem. And I hope that that can change at the next level. But also the like, exactly what we're hitting on, like what he brings as somebody who can hit shots off movement on variation. Um, that's six, seven, six, eight. Like that's he's a draft eligible player. I mean, a draft worthy player, like, of course, he's eligible. But um, yeah. Yeah. And. In terms of, like we said, like attacking closeout, I, I am pretty skeptical about him getting all the way to the basket. But if we're just going off this UCLA game, he did have that one where like he had Amari Bailey on his back, had patience, held him off, kept him on his back and got all the way to the basket for a finish, which was very nice. I am skeptical that will be something that we see much at the next level, but it was still nice to see. Um, earlier in the year, I know I criticized his rebounding in one of the games. I can't remember. It might have been the Michigan State game, but I, I, I don't want to say that for a fact. I just know early in the season. Um, but I do think he had some some nice contested rebounds this weekend as well, or this past weekend, um, to where it was just nice to see him crash the glass and, and not lose his man um, because there was a few times earlier in the year where it just was really, really rough there. So that was that was nice to see. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, do you want to talk about Drew Timmy? How do you feel about Drew Timmy as a prospect? Yeah, we can talk about him. I I think Timmy's a tough one because he's, he's obviously very talented, one of the best players in college basketball. I think from what we've talked about, you're a little bit more optimistic than I am on this front. Although I, I know oh, you're not I don't optimistic. even think I'm that optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, I know you're not that optimistic. Either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I feel like maybe a little more than me, but anyways, what I was going to say is my, my problem with, with, with Timmy is I feel like the games that he struggled with over the last two years have been when he has gone up against these bigger, longer, stronger, like athletic guys. And that's why I was so excited to possibly see him match up against Klingon in the UConn game, because that is something that he has struggled with in the past. And unfortunately, Klingon didn't get that many minutes in the first half. Um, there was one where he did a really good job contesting Timmy, but also Klingon, but bit on a pump fake and, and committed a foul on one also. I think anyone back to the bench. But yeah, I, I don't really know with Timmy 
how the game is totally going to translate for him. I think if he were a consistent three-point shooter, I'd be much open, much more open to it because he could grab and go, and then he can maybe attack closeouts with like pick and pops and stuff and get the historic that he loves. But in terms of like him creating shots for himself in the post at the next level, I just don't think teams are going to give him the opportunity to do so. And even if he does get the opportunity to do so, sure, he has great footwork and good touch around the basket and really good patience. But I still think that the size at the NBA level is going to bother him way too much at the basket. And this isn't even going into the defensive side of things with him, where I don't think he brings that much to the floor on defense either. So it's just, it's really tough to see um, a team where I'd feel comfortable using a decent pick on him. I'm not going to rule him out being an NBA player because I just think he, he, there always are these outliers who have really, weird translations to the league and they figure it out and i do think he has a chance to do that with just like i said he is a really good post player still i know he does struggle against bigger guys but i do think he can get it to work um but i but i am skeptical there yeah i think the biggest thing for me that i'm gonna want to see uh like he's a guy i definitely want to watch the combine like or like the scrimmages at the combine um because uh, much like we talked about with Chet Holmgren last year, like Gonzaga was not a pick and roll heavy team yet again. Um, you know, so much of his utilization is out of the post. Um, I would really like, I think that he's had interesting short roll reps throughout his career. And it's just, can that be a more consistent thing? Can we see more of that? Cause I just tend to lean into thinking that he's more of a solid passer than a, like a good passer. Mm-hmm. And that's my biggest hang up with him just because if he were, you know, that good of a playmaker out of the post. Um, like if he were close to like, I mean, like just keeping it a buck, like obviously much, much better college player than Demonis Sabonis was. But like, I think Domas showed way much, way more as a passer to me. That was interesting when he was in, in at Gonzaga than, than, than Timmy has. And that's just, I mean, that's just being blunt with how different they are. Like they're different kind of players um, and they do things in a different way. But like, I, I think to me, like to warrant the kind of usage he's going to need, um, I'm just not there. Um, but again, like maybe like I still think by virtue of being somebody who has been really productive, who just has been a really damn good basketball player. I get the idea of somebody saying, let's use a late second on him or let's sign him as an undrafted free agent and see what we can have happen as out as him as a, a screen and roll guy. And, um, you know, maybe the short roll passing really pops and maybe find some intermediate touches of float with his floater. And I think that's like reasonable, but like you mentioned as well, I just don't really have any kind of confidence in the defense. Um, there, the footwork is really rough on defense. The mobility overall is really, really rough. He doesn't provide any kind of rim protection or verticality. Um, I don't really feel that there is any coverage that he is actually like somebody I would consider a neutral defender in. Um, so it's just like, it's a tough position to be in. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So I agree. My question to you, though, would be if he does develop the three point shot, does that open things up for him enough in your eyes to be like, OK, he actually is more likely to be an NBA player? Maybe I would use more than a late second on him if I feel comfortable out of shooting projection. What what would that three point shot being added to his game do for you when you view him? Good question. Um I think that it would make me a lot more confident in drafting him higher. I still just like, I don't think I'm going to get there. Um, But I think I would at least understand it more. 
Uh, like he personally is just not the kind of guy that I would want to bet on. Um, and I don't mean that to be harsh or unfair. I just think like, I don't know. I I mean, you know me, I'd so much rather bet on somebody like Christian Coloco, who I'm like, all right, let's, I know that he can bring some things defensively. What maybe the offense comes along if we can really rep things out, but that's just normally how I tend to view it. But uh yeah, I, if if there was like confidence in him becoming like a legit shooter on volume, then I would I would like be more open to a to a a higher level position in the draft. Yeah, it's not something that I'm confident in either, but I do think if we are looking at areas for growth in his game, that is more likely than him improving his defense in a certain kind of way. Or yeah. I, I think that is the area um, outside of the skills that he already has that might be the most realistic for him to, for him to improve on even if i'm still skeptical there yeah definitely um do you have any other gonzaga thoughts you want to get off um not really i mean i think hunter salas had a really solid um weekend i have been critical of his game over the year i don't think he brings much on offense but his defense was pretty awesome and he yeah. just slides his feet so quickly to cut off drive so i want to give a shout out to him um but no, I, I think it's mostly just just Strother and and Timmy. Um, I've also been like I was a little underwhelmed with Nolan Hickman's uh game this year, but he had that sick behind the back pass in, in one of the games. Um, I think it might have been the UConn game, but yeah. that was that was awesome. But yeah, two guys over that to, are definitely on the radar to watch next year for sure. Like I I think like or relatively on the radar, right on the radar to see if they pop. You know, like what what happens? Do they continue to improve? Because like you mentioned with Salas, I thought. Um, especially in the UCLA game, he was so good on Amari Bailey. Because like Amari, that was part of what was fun in going back and watching and realizing that like half of Amari's shots and points came in like the first seven or eight minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not to discredit him because I still thought he did some good things late. I, I mean, obviously he hit the big three late, but um, Hunter Salas was really big and just kind of taking him out of his game and forcing him to really tough shots. Um, as time went, I guess that's a good transition to talk about UCLA. Yeah, exactly. And and so we both want to talk about the Amari first like eight minutes of the game, right? I think he had like seven or nine points in a row in like the 15 to 12 minute mark or whatever, where he had like that that elbow jumper or the cash and shoot at the top of the key, beat receiver Bolton to get to the rim for a finish. Then he had another like finish where he uses offhand. Like these are all back to back to back. Really awesome stretch from him. Um, I think he had a steal on defense in that whole stretch as well. But after that, I do think UCLA struggled to find um, a lot of offense, and that's where Gonzaga was able to make their comeback the rest of the way. And it it was weird. Like, every time you saw, like, UCLA come out of a timeout or look for a bucket, they would go to, like, a mid-range off-movement shot for Amari, which he has been able to make that this year. But in terms of, like, team success, that's probably not the most ideal approach. Um, But, yeah, Amari had that very nice – late three in the game i still think even with them losing and and him having like a more of a quiet second half compared to the first half it was a really awesome tournament for him yeah no i fully agree especially too like i thought the northwestern game like like we talked about that that was one of his best games of the year um i think for me i still look at i don't know i because i've tried to think about like where would this put me with him as a prospect I still don't know if I can get the first round with him. I don't know where you're at with him right now. Um, Like if he's the player that he was over the last month of the year, then yeah, I think I would be like 
very comfortably in the in the first round range for him. But I think exactly like we're talking about when we're talking about like a 10 game sample size, um, it does make me think that it's, he's probably going to lean into going back next year. Um, just because like I would want to see more of the consistency and to improve on some of the aspects of his game. Because like even looking at at the game we're talking about, like there were there were still multiple opportunities for him to take wide open threes. And he'd, he'd rather drive into it right now. And again, that's not to discredit him, but I think for the kind of player that he is on path to become, like it's really important that that volume continues to increase. Um, but again, like the, not again, not to discredit, like the the overall just explosiveness and movement that has really popped for him lately has been really awesome to see. And I just hope that that continues because he's he is really interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. It'll be interesting to see what he decides to do, um, whether it's return to school, leave for the draft or whatever. But it was a very promising end of the year for him. And yeah, like you said, shooting more threes, I think the finishing did get better. And I do think he had some nice finishes throughout the year, but becoming a more consistent finisher with his, as he is able to put pressure on the rim, become a better finisher in the half court with more three-point shooting with volume and keep on like we saw improvements with his passing throughout the year we saw some good defense from him um if all of that comes together you have a pretty intriguing prospect but um yeah we're dealing with a a smaller sample size of him playing well at the end of the year And, and it should be noted that he did deal with several injuries this year early on and um who knows if he was even 100% at the end but yeah, all, just a lot of information to, to keep in mind. But going over to Jaime Hawkes, though, what did you think about him in uh, the Gonzaga game? Is it unfair if I say my thoughts just haven't haven't changed at all on him? Even like he was good in the Gonzaga game, but I still just think part of the issue for me is like it is college good to me. It is not the answering any questions I have about him as a prospect. Cause like, it's still the same stuff. Like it going to him in the post and on, on drives and just trying to get him moving towards the basket, I think worked at, for parts of the game, but then late, it really felt like Inzaga was able to, uh, especially, you know, as the game went on and they were able to do a better job of just limiting dribble penetration at all. They were really good at preventing any kind of easy looks for him. And it was all very contested, very difficult shots out of the post. And I still just don't feel very good about him as a passer. Like, I think it's one of the things that uh, I don't remember if we talked about this last year, but I know I talked about it with somebody, but like when, when talking about Johnny Davis as a passer last year, it was often brought up like, okay, well, how much of this is him just trying to force the offense through himself because they need shots and how much of this is him just actually not seeing people? And I think it's a little bit of both with Jaime for me. But I just, like, I don't look at him and consider him a super high field player. Like, I think he has a solid feel for the game, and he can make some passes, but I don't think that his feel is, like, otherworldly or anything like that. Yeah, so I agree with the part about his feel not being otherworldly. Um, I do think he is a more than capable passer. I do think he actually showed that more earlier on in his career than he has this year. Yeah, I think no, he is a, is a sure. capable passer though. Um, but he does miss some reads and he forces stuff himself. This game isn't specifically the reason, but I have been a little bit more open to him as a prospect recently. Um, just looking through some stuff and I, like going back to what you said, this game was, yeah, it was a lot of college good. And like the concerns are, 
he doesn't create that many great looks against players his size. He's more, he's always been someone in college who feasts on the mismatches. And in this game was exactly that again. Like when they had Anton Watson on him, he wasn't really able to create the best looks. He had some nice finishes at, at the rim or at an and one or stuff, but it was settling for a turnaround jumper or a tough finish at the rim. Um, but then when you get a smaller guy like Malachi Smith on him, then he takes him to the basket and finishes pretty easily. So when when those mismatches aren't there as often, um, just because it's gonna won't be there as often in the NBA, then how is he going to be able to impact the game? And I think that is where a lot of my questions have come with him before because his game is one where he's always dominated the ball in college, and he's also been beating up on smaller players, but. One thing that I was looking at is he actually did shoot um, better than I had thought on cash and shoot threes this year, which I do find a little bit intriguing. So he only thought as a whole, he only shot 31.7% from three this year. It was actually 34.9% on cash and shoot threes, which is a little bit better. And just trying to think of him at the next level where he has to scale back his game a little bit, play off the ball a little bit more. If he is able to make 35% of his threes at like, not some crazy kind of volume, but he's also not someone who's totally scared of putting threes up. So like at a respectable enough rate where someone's going to close out on him. If that three point shot is good enough, he can be able to attack tilted defenses because he does have a decent handle at his size and still has good strength and can still finish at the rim to a certain extent. Um, so just thinking about all of that together, I have been a little bit more open to him as a prospect. And now that's not me coming here and saying, oh, I still think he's like a top 20, top 25, maybe not even a first round guy. I'm not sure where I'm going to have him. I still would lean I'm not first round at the moment, but it is something that I am working through and, and figuring out. And, and maybe I will continue to get a little bit higher on him because I do think he does a lot of good things on the floor and he, he does impact winning is just always like, okay, how will his game scale back? How will he play off the ball? And I think looking at his off-ball shooting numbers made me a little bit more open to that. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And, like, just to be fair, too, like, I would consider him, like, a top 40, top 45 guy right now, I think would be where I am at. I, I'm with you, too. Like, I, I I know there's been kind of a push to mock him into the first. I'm not there. Um, I think I, it's maybe, fair, though. To, to be fair, yeah. I, I think – I think I don't think it's the worst. I just, like, I, I am not there. Um my thing is just more like I think he's a solid defender. I don't think he's a like uh a super high level defender. Um like I think he moves his feet well enough and he can play scheme, but I don't think that I view him as ultra versatile. Like granted, like he can he can hold his own against bigger players for sure. But I, I don't know. I mean, how do you how do you feel about his defense? Um I, I agree with that. I think I mean Speaking of the Gonzaga game, though, he had that one really nice block where I think they just yeah. dumped it off behind him, and he had a quick like he got off the ground quickly and blocked the shot at the rim. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't think his his defense is that much of a difference maker. I think where if he were to find success, it's going to be. I mean, I do think he he is physical. I think that helps him a lot. Yeah. But if he were to find success at the next level, it's because he is able to do several things on offense and um, attacking tilted defenses or pushing the floor and getting out and running in transition hopefully hitting those spot up threes while maybe his passing gets a little bit better again to what we saw earlier. And he's not forcing as many tough shots because he's skilled back and he doesn't feel like he has to do all those responsibilities himself. I, I do think like, I, I would not be surprised if I end up having him in the first round when it's all done. Um, but I, this is something that I've 
thought about over the last three or four days. So I'm not going to be too quick to like, oh yeah, no, he's a first round guy. Something that no, I'm exploring sure. with. And and once I put together my board, I'll see where I actually end up having him. But I am more open to him as a prospect now than I was a week ago. And where I was like a week ago was how I had felt for like the last year and a half too about him. But, but yeah. No, that's totally fair. Can I run a name by you? That obviously not like a direct comp or something, but if you, in terms of just thinking about the idea of him shooting a lot more, like if he had in college, Sadiq Bey, I think there are a lot of similarities, like obviously not to like, I mean, exactly like part of the reason Sadiq got drafted as high as he did is because he shot 45% and shot the tar off the ball in his final year at Villanova. But I think when you're talking about somebody who definitely has some limitations, especially in terms of verticality around the rim, plays out of the post a lot, that kind of idea. I, I I get what you're saying in terms of like him becoming an eventual rotation player, potential or a potential rotation player if the shot volume really increases. Um, even if the efficacy isn't always there. I think like, and granted, like I, I'm not trying to I should have phrased it differently. I'm not trying to say that they're the same player, but I think when you think about the if you're thinking about it in terms of just like, all right, what if the volume is different? What if you are looking at somebody who is uncanning more threes? Then maybe it does look different. Yeah, no, I it threw me off for a second when you brought up the name, but I understand where you are coming from. Like if yeah. you were to just like ignore the three point volume and, and the efficiency of Sadiq Bay, which to be fair, like you said, and that's why he got drafted. But like in terms of like what Sadiq Bay would self-create for himself with a lot of turnaround jumpers in the mid-range or in the paint as well. We do see that with Hawkeyes. I do think Hawkeyes actually does a much better job getting all the way to the rim than Sadiq Bay did. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think his handle is a lot better than Sadiq. Yeah, so I, I still think there are a decent amount of differences there, but I do understand what you were getting at. And and yeah, if 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 Hawkeyes is able to, to shoot off the ball at a decent rate, he should be able to provide value just like having – that size and his ball handling skills and being able to still like as much as I'm criticizing him, not being able to, uh, or I'm criticizing him for only being able to punish mismatches. The mismatches will still be there to a certain extent and being able to do so is still important at the next level. It just won't be something that he can do for 18, 20 points a game. Um, and that's what he's made his living off of in college. It's more of going to be a, Oh, I can do this as well at the next level. Not this is why I'm good at the next level is how I view it. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. Um, and hopefully never listened. That wasn't too jarring. I think in my head, it made a lot of sense in terms of the idea of like a power wing who doesn't really have a lot of burst. Like it's just, that's the, that's what I want to. But no, I see that. I think this is useful for me because I've been pretty closed off to uh, Jaime as a, as a higher end draft prospect, to be honest. And I think that makes me want to rethink things and, and evaluate it differently potentially. So. Yeah, and I, I, I have also been more on the skeptical side, like I was saying for most of the year and even last year, but I do think it's important, like when it comes to these upperclassmen, the guys who have been in college for so long, you don't want to, you want to make sure you don't get stuck in the, oh, I've thought about this for so long. He can't yeah. improve. And I don't even know if like, I do think he has improved. I don't think his like actual, like, I don't think he's improved that much at certain areas that were his weaknesses, but I still think he's gotten so much better at what he was already good at. Um, and yeah, I, I do think it's important to just not get into the mindset of, oh, I didn't like him before, I can't like him now, being open to trying to view him through a different lens and seeing where some improvements can be made to make him an NBA player is important. Definitely. No, I really like that. Okay. Uh, did you have any other UConn thoughts? I did. I mean, not UConn, uh, UCLA thoughts, because other than that, we can move to UConn. Um, I'm trying to think what else I had in that game. Well, we didn't get Bona in that game. Um, Jalen Clark was out. 
So no, I I think we're good to move on to since we already talked about Gonzaga a little bit. Let's talk about let's talk about the uh the UConn games. Yeah. Um going back and rewatching Jordan Hawkins was so fun, man. Um like obviously you get to see like all the movement and stuff in game when you're watching it live, but I think when you can like rewind it and really like manipulate stuff and look at it like, oh wow, like he was really doing that much. Um, we've talked about Jordan so much on this pod, but I I just want to talk about it for a minute on the on-ball upside because I think that is just something I continue to come back to and be really interested by. I think he had some really solid flashes with that in the game against Gonzaga and the game against Arkansas, um, particularly in the Arkansas game, and that's a really good defense too. So I think like when you see somebody who – granted, you have to have a team that like really buys into – getting the most out of what he does but also i think it's worth noting like i would be surprised if a team that isn't bought into getting the most out of what he does is drafting him considering where he's probably going to get drafted this year so i get where like some of those questions would be but i also that's where i would lean like i i don't i would like to think a team is going to be smart enough to say hey we're going to use this guy um but like he's just he is really shifty in how he changes directions he's so good and like because just by by like with the fact that you always have to guard him outside the arc and how he's always moving and how he can get off uh, just off movement in general. Like, I think if you were a standstill guy, I think that's where you definitely have questions about like, okay, well, what is his burst? Is he really able to get past somebody? Is he able to do this? Is he able to do that? But when he is moving the way that he's capable of and that he's been utilized by UConn, I just really think like with his ability to flip his hips and go from, you know, going sideways to going straight towards the rim, like, and how quickly he makes the decision to do it and how quick, how in tune his body is with making those movements happen. Um, I really just am very open to that idea of him becoming a better on-ball player. And I know like, I don't want to just make everything chalk up to strength. Like I think that will continue to be the big thing for him. That was a big thing for him from last year to this year. Um, I'm just really excited about what that could be. I think that he's every day. I just get more like I'm, I'm extremely solidified in him as a top 20 guy in the class. Like, I don't really think anything will change that for me. Yeah. You, you know, I've been on the side of, I've thought that his on ball upside is underrated for quite some time, but I want to talk about some of his off ball, like stuff and movement. I think when he's running off of screens, whether it's, coming off of staggers pin down or even coming off a of DHO and getting the ball. He does. There's this one thing that he does so, so well and so consistent, not consistently, but so well, we're like, he'll like stutter as he catches the ball or change pace. And, and, and he's able to attack right after that. I want to make a, a video on it that I'll post because of his, his footwork, when he catches the ball, where he slows for a second, when he catches the ball and then he attacks when, when defenders are trailing him, they're scared that he's going to go right into a shot. Um, so he's able to use that to his advantage to actually put pressure on the paint and get the defense to either come to him or he'll kick it out or take it himself. But either way, I'll make a video on that because I think that's just really, really impressive what he does there. But yeah, in this in this Arkansas game to start off with, I actually thought he had some nice defensive uh, possessions as well. I thought he had a good possession where he was um, chasing on defense and then he was able to, to slide his feet with Devo Davis a couple of times. Um, but one other thing, so we, we've talked so much about his, his shooting and, and we both agree that there's some on ball limited, uh, there's some on ball upside as well with his scoring. And I think his driving has been, uh, improved, the passing. but 
Yeah, the passing as well. Yeah. No, I want to talk oh, about he actually does a really good job drawing fouls as well. Yeah. Um, not that he's like some elite foul drawer, but I think when you think of all these other kind of movement shooters, they really don't get to the line as often as he does. And sure, he does get to the line from shooting from threes and getting fouled on threes as well. But he actually like there's in the Arkansas game, there is like two or three different times in that game alone where he did a really good job seeking out the contact um, and, and drawing a foul. And I don't think it was like a force, like, oh, let me go out of my way from like stopping my attempt at a layup just to draw a foul. No, I think he still got good looks off at, at trying to finish, but he did a good job drawing fouls as well there. And I, I think that plus his rebounding, like he, there's so many different things that he does that he's not just a movement shooter. There's the on-ball upside that even if the on-ball upside doesn't work out, he has the movement shooting He's an underrated passer, I think. He can draw fouls. He can rebound. There's so much more to his game that I think that there's different paths to success for him, which is why I like him as a prospect so much. Yeah, I think what was really fun about Jordan in the Arkansas game is, like, obviously in Gonzaga, he went, like, unconscious and got extremely hot. Like, he was a big part of them really pushing the lead out. Um, In the Arkansas game, though, I thought he had some just phenomenal passes in that game. Um, Like, I still think that... Like, you're going to want to continue to see more of him. But I think he handles double teams and just ball pressure really well for somebody who's not a lead guard. Um, that always kind of stands out to me. Um, I think he's been, like, I'd have to, I, I want to go, I, I know I clipped some today. I was trying to not put anything on the timeline just so that I would, like, continue to watch games and not, like, get in, too caught up in trying to clip things. But, um, yeah, I, I just was I, I was going back, especially in the Arkansas game. I was impressed, especially with the coverages he was seeing, some of the reads that he was making and passes he was getting off. And I, I, exactly like you're, you're saying, I think in terms of looking at the on-ball upside, that's a big part of it um, and what he can do and just making good decisions with the ball in his hands. Um, I, I think the handle is going to continue to be like the biggest question mark. I don't think that it's bad. I just don't think that it's all that awesome either. Um, like, I don't think that it, he has a particularly creative handle. Um, like, I think that's a lot of the reason why every, like if somebody is able to keep their feet in front of him, it does become a pull up too. But I'm not like ultimately all that worried about it because I don't have the expectation of him becoming somebody who's, you know, necessarily needing his handle to get everywhere. Like that, not to underrate that, like that is an important aspect, but I don't know where, where you're at on that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and and in terms of like me saying on ball upside, it doesn't mean I ever think he's going to be a primary or anything. I just think there's there's chance for him to do more on the ball than he's done at at, at UConn this year. And I, I I think that he hasn't been able to to fully display his his skill set there. And the the rare chances that he do does get to do it, he he's showing more than we get to see. So I I'm with you there. Um do you want to go to another player or go to this Hawkins and the Gonzaga game first and then go to the next player? Um, we could do Hawkins and the Gonzaga game. Um, I thought the Gonzaga game is where you really got to see him just kind of blow up. Um, like he was so fun in this game. Like he was taking some absolutely unconscious threes. Um, per, I think the the one that stood out most, it was second half. So they were on the left side of the court. Um, I can't remember who contested him, but they came flying in right as he was about to rise into his shot. Like head literally, a like hand like literally almost touches the ball, and he still gets the ball off clean and swishes it. 
And I think to me, like, that's like one of those moments where it, like, no shit, he's a really good shooter. He shoots eight threes a game at like 39%. But I think that's one of the ones where you're like, okay, like really, really different as a shooter. Um, so I, I don't have like a ton to go off of on that. But what else did you want to add? Yeah, I, I mean, there's just that one possession. Um, first five minutes of the game where he's running off of screens nonstop. And just I'm thinking of like the defender who has to chase him the whole time. It just seems like hell chasing this guy through running off screens on one side of the court. Then he goes back to the middle, other screens, other side of the court, and then goes, catches the ball just right into a shot. Just ridiculous. Um, really nice off ball, off movement shooter, and I want to see him get that kind of usage at the next level. You sort of brought it up before we went into his game, where sure, a team might not use him that way, um, and that is something to note. But I think if a team does use him optimally, he can bring so much different kinds of things to an offense, which is very intriguing. And I also want to say, like, even if a team doesn't use him off screens all the time and, and like that i still think he is talented enough to to find ways to impact the game yeah. and he, he's good enough to still be a, a solid player that's a great point because like just to, to go off that like i think if you look at um if you look at like let's say like if i don't think it would happen but if jordan hawkins was a nick like i think that he is a player who is good enough moving himself without the ball that he would still be a useful player on offense like like looking at the Knicks this year, so much of what they do and what has been successful is like Emmanuel quickly, Quentin Grimes, Josh Hart. They're all players who can make plays without having to be part of a play. And I think I view Hawkins in that same mold as like, I mean, even like being somebody who can attack the glass, who can be really good as a cutter, who can just function without the ball in their hands, who's always going to move. And I think to be fair, like something that I look at now that I think I appreciate and understand in a way that I didn't when I was first starting to evaluate stuff, like I was super sold on this idea of James Booknight as this off-ball player. And I think I undersold or maybe didn't realize how much of that was UConn's offense at the time. And I think like with this now for me and where I'm at now, two years, Jesus, how is it two years? Two years later, uh, you can see Jordan Hawkins when plays break down and when he is, you know, outside of a play that he is able to make things happen and be mobile and move his feet and be in a different position and, and find ways to impact the game without having to be part of a, a possession. So um, yes, I'm fully on board with you. Awesome. I, I do think he had once again, some nice contested rebounds in this game, some several nice defensive possessions. I do think he had a really poor defensive, like he was guarding Julian Strother on the perimeter and he let Julian Strother's first step beat him, which got into a floater, which I did not like at all. Um, but for the most part, I do think these games were just a general, here's what Jordan Hawkins does as a prospect. There's Here's the good, here's the bad. Um, but I, I I do like him as a prospect a good amount. Definitely. Um, do you want to have the Andre Jackson talk? Because yeah, he... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, so yeah, we can, we can do him and we can finish up UConn before we go back to like the Arkansas guys. Yeah. Um, he was really good in this Gonzaga game. And I think what is so tough, like, I don't know, I've been trying to think about it a lot more because I feel like you and I have both just been on the much more pessimistic end about who Andre Jackson can be as an NBA prospect. Did this game change your mind at all? Has anything in the tournament changed your mind at all? Or, or where are you at right now? Did the game, I don't know if the game specifically changed I mean, I guess you could say a little bit. I do think that this game 
more so than other, others in the past and like this season, he was consistently trying to make an effort to make stuff happen with teams helping off of him. But I also like want to say Gonzaga, the Gonzaga like defense was also really, really bad. And a lot of the time was more like anyone would do that. Like, okay, the double comes here's an easy cut. Like, sure. He's doing it, but I, I want to know, like, I don't know. I, I don't think he did anything too special in terms of, making plays on offense when they were helping off of him. But I do think like compare him to these other guys who are, who are bad shooters who are getting helped off of. I do think he actively does look for more to make more things happen than they do. Um, My problem with him still is I'm not sure if he has good enough. Like I don't like his driving enough or the other skills. Like I don't think he's an elite enough defender to really make up for that lack of a shot but i i do think that he is someone who has been able to find ways to impact the game in in other areas and he's really good in transition he's a when he is trying to like a high motor player he's getting offensive rebounds going for loose balls all this kind of stuff um that there is there is a path for him to be a rotation player i i think i will still always have my questions about him in terms of um a playoff series or when the team's able to scheme up like, Oh, we're going to go against them this way. Or like in the fourth quarter of a game and all that kind of stuff. I have some questions there, but I, I do think there is, there is some room for him to be a rotation player, like in the regular season, even if I am so skeptical. Yeah. Um, I'm in the same boat. Like I, uh, this was hard. Like I try, I've been trying to be a lot more optimistic. Granted, like he is a much better passer he is a little bit bigger, but like I've tried to remember why Nate Hinton hasn't worked. And I think um, that's kind of where I've been with Andre a little bit. Like obviously like being somebody who can be so good in transition and just like be extremely aggressive attacking the glass is awesome. But like, I don't know. I, I Again, like Andre is bigger than Nate to be fair, but, but they have a lot of the same issues. Like Nate really struggled to drive the basketball. I would say Andre's handle is probably about on par. Like, again, like the passing is different. So I think there's more opportunity to use him as a, as like maybe a short roll threat or just as somebody who operates out of the dunker spot and is, is active in that way. And like you mentioned, like I think in the Gonzaga game, he was so good at finding his own offense. And I think like as much as, his box score maybe says otherwise. I don't think he's always been all that good at that this year. Like I think yeah. there have been like, that's my, my biggest hang up with him has been like, he really struggles to be aggressive in his role. And like, you can't be that kind of, you, you can't have that kind of like mentality on the court when you're this kind of player. Like you have to be somebody who is outlier in what you're doing to warrant getting that used all the time. Um, so I, I'm trying to be more open to it and trying to think, more about it I still don't feel as good about his defense as I think a lot of people do like I, I again like we've talked about this so many times like the 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 uh ground coverage is really cool he's a he's a really fantastic athlete I just don't think that he's all that sound as a technique defender I think that he can get beat on ball a lot because of maybe a lot is too much but like he can get beat a lot just by overplaying things and that's stuff that you can rein in and improve on but it still matters when you're talking about who he is right now. I, I just wouldn't call him an elite defender. 
Yeah, I think if he were to like give that kind of effort and that kind of approach like he did in the Gonzaga game every game, I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm 100% want to take a risk on this guy, even with the flaws. Like, I still think that player needs a specific kind of roster and lineup that he's playing in to actually work out. And that does speak to limitations still. And we still have those questions that I mentioned earlier about in a playoff series or whatever, when they can scheme up how they want to defend you, like over a longer period of time. But he didn't show that kind of approach of let me cut nonstop. Let me flash the ball whenever I can. And some of that was because of the Gonzaga defense. I, I understand that, but I just wish he showed that more often throughout the season um, because he really was impactful in that game. And um, it, it was, it was a really awesome game for him. Definitely. Um, do you want to talk about the Arkansas guys now? Uh, yes. First, first of all, I wanted to mention like Sonogo in the oh, Gonzaga yeah. game as well. Like really awesome passing. I, I do think a lot of what Andre Jackson got was all because of Sonogo and he was drawing the double and he had some awesome dump offs. And I think he deserves so much credit for that. Um, but yeah, we can go over to the Arkansas guys. No, I agree. Sonogo was really good in that game as much as his defense has been rough in the postseason like his passing in the game against Gonzaga was really fun like he made it legitimately so difficult for them to actually play defense any way that they wanted to because it was like all right well if we play you straight up you're beating whoever we have on you like they tried playing Andre Watson on him um did not work I mean not Andre Jesus Christ Anton Watson on him did not work uh all that well just too big for Anton and his touch on hooks is like really impressive um but then I think, again, to be fair, part of it was Gonzaga overplaying, but like he busted their ass on drives a couple times uh, when they tried to deny DHOs and keep him out on an island. Um, and then when they did try and double him or send send help on the catch, like he was just beating the shit out of them with back doors. And granted, like, again, like a lot of that speaks to what their off-ball defense was because I thought their off-ball defense was so bad in this game. Um, but really impressive game from him. Also... He was 69th overall in RSCI. I never realized that. Good for him. Uh, so let's go to so a, a good, yeah, a good segue into Arkansas is I guess from what you just talked about with Andre Jackson and, and him finding ways to impact the offense, right? In that game, it gives a Gonzaga game. How would you compare him now to like Jordan Walsh? Yeah, I don't think Jordan did nearly the same thing in this game. Uh I thought this game as Solid as the first two games were for Jordan, I thought this game was really rough for him. Um, like, obviously, I think the defense still flashed to a degree. Um, but overall, like, I this, – this was not a good game for him. Um, I think you could definitely see um, UConn helping off of him consistently, and he was back to hurting the spacing of the offense they had. Caravan helping off of him on the strong side corner to stop Anthony Black on a drive. I think that happened two different times, um, both in the first half. He did have a, a really nice possession chasing Jordan Hawkins off the ball on off screens, which he um, was able to impact there. But yeah, I think this is back to the Jordan Walsh that we saw for most of the year. And, and like we talked about last week is – even though the other two games were much better from him, it didn't answer the questions that you had from him still. And I think this game goes back to not answering the questions, but not being able to impact the game as much. So he's having that same kind of problem. What I would want from him, and I, I've mentioned this before, is like if, if he were to be that kind of guy who is like 
making plays happen off the ball, regardless of like teams helping off of him. If he was able to do what Andre Jackson did against Gonzaga when teams are helping off of you, that would be so, so much different because I think Jordan Walsh is a much better defender than Andre Jackson. Um, and, and if he was able to overcome those kind of flaws, that would just make him a much more intriguing prospect. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm really interested to see what he does and whether or not he, he goes back to school. Cause I, you know, regardless, uh, hoping that he does whatever's best for him and it works out. But yeah, I, I, I'm in the same boat. Um, Nick Smith, this was a tough game for him as well. He started off pretty well in this game. Like he had, uh, I think two or three of his four makes came in the first 10 minutes of this game. And he started to think he was going to find a flow, find a rhythm that did not happen. Um, I mean, I think this game, like, you really just saw the limitations of their spacing overall again. Like, UConn was so comfortable just sitting back in in their drop, especially with, with Klingon, um, and forcing them to drive at the rim, which, like, to we'll talk about Anthony Black in a second, to his credit, but um, did not look good from Nick. What did you think of his defense in this game? It was bad. It was very bad. His defense has been awful in the tournament. I kind of choked on my my coffee a little bit uh, when the game was happening because Stan Van Gundy called him a, a good on-ball defender who was active. And I was like, oh, Stan has never watched this dude play defense in his life. Um, so, so one thing I do want to say about the UConn game, I, I think the defense was awful in the Kansas game. I actually do think the UConn game – it was bad, um, but I do think like three out of the first four mistakes, which that's still a lot of mistakes early on in the game. I do think three out of the first four weren't solely on him. Like one was because yeah. a teammate didn't do one thing or the teammate did the wrong thing here and he didn't recover for it. Um, so while he still needs to be making those plays happen, um, because making up for teammates mistakes is a part of defense and that's how you're going to have a good defense as a whole. I don't think he was the main reason that a breakdown happened. Um, and I, I do want to say that because I thought that uh, he deserves a little bit more credit there, at least. But like I said, it was still bad. Um, and it's still his fault for not uh, covering up for the mistakes. But like you could see, like there was one play where like he got over a screen and Anthony Black's calling for a switch. But Nick completely gets over the screen. So he stays with the guy and there's a miscommunication there. So no one goes to the guy who's popping and. Who knows what their game plan was. And that's why for us, if we're not talking, like if we're not there at practice or we're not there in the huddles, we don't know what their game plan is. We can just go off of like, you can see someone pointing for a switch, but you can't hear them also. So like, that's always tough to, to discuss, but like Nick Smith completely got over the screen. He stayed with the man. Um, maybe he didn't want to switch, and but Anthony Black calls it. So there's some different pages. Um, yeah, who, who, I mean, who you want to blame there is up to you. Um, but yeah, I, I think there were multiple occasions of that in the first like 10 minutes where it was not like, oh, this is all on Nick Smith. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm not intending to do that. I, I think, like, when you look at their defense as a whole, it just completely broke down in this game. Like, Connecticut was able to get to the middle of the floor so often in this. Uh, it was kind of like them watching them, like, you you know the, um, like, the cinnamon roll, like, Pillsbury cans that you, like, hit on, a, hit on the counter and they explode open? uh no you are you serious like you never what did you say <laughs> like the the pillsbury canisters like you hit them on a on a counter or like you like like the and they like spring open you know what i'm talking about no uh, not really no not that's really. what it's like watching a no middle defense get picked apart like that but point being 
it doesn't analogy didn't hit jesus christ um <laughs> well to be fair i was also reading over my notes because for some reason i have like I, I rewatched this game six days ago and out of all the games you talked about this game is just like so far gone because i've watched a lot yeah. of other games since then i'm like okay well i'm just reading over my notes again from this no game. that's totally fair uh <laughs> i think this was like i mean Ant black was really good in this game at least offensively i think you saw just the he had like this i'm going to take this freaking ball to the rim every time type mentality because which but, sometimes didn't work out yeah no i'm <laughs> but exactly no, no, like, no, i'm, I'm trying to be fair like it didn't it didn't always work out, but he was aggressive. The he way that aggressive. he got to the rim and got to the free throw line was really huge. Um, I don't think that that is always going to happen, but like in terms of being the kind of player that he is and where he's headed, I think that kind of aggression is what you want to see. Um, yeah, I thought like from a scoring side of things, this game showed the positives and the negatives from Anthony Black. Um, a good rec- representation of his skill set there. Um, I don't think it got to show his passing skills much. And I don't mm-hmm. think, I think the defensive side of the ball wasn't like to the full extent of what he can do. Um, but I think like from a scoring perspective of like where you want to see him be able to get his buckets and some upside there, but where he struggles, I, I think that was a really good game to watch for that. I agree. Um what do you think but, of Ricky Council in this game? But, but one more thing with oh, Anthony right. Black, like just like you can see, like when when he gets the ball screen, defenses are still like, okay, we'll just go under. We don't really care. We'll go under these screens. Um, and sometimes he'll take a, a three. Sometimes he won't. Um, but one thing that I always value is being able to punish a defense for going under a screen. So I'd love to see him find ways to to punish that consistently. Uh, as for Ricky Council, um. I thought this was one of his, this was a more quiet game from him compared to the previous two games. I thought that there were like multiple times in this game where he just, I think in the first five minutes, he gave up offensive rebounds to Caravan, just really, really awful, like lazy box outs or not even boxing out at all. And Caravan just crashed, which credit to Caravan for like tracking the ball off the offensive glass. And like, it wasn't like it just bounced right to him. He did a really good job going for it, but Ricky Council didn't put a body on him. Um, had that awesome chase down block, but but yeah, I thought he was much better last weekend than he was uh, in the in the UConn game. Agreed. Like this team, Loki just looked kind of tired. Not to just make it an excuse, but I do think that that kind of played a part in the game. Um, so that was interesting. But I don't have anything else on the Arkansas guys. If you're ready to move on, um, yeah, we can we can move on. We can move on. Uh, okay. Do we want to go to Alabama, San Diego State? Yeah, let's talk about this one, um, just for Brandon Miller, at least. Obviously, he had a really rough tournament in terms of, like, efficiency, and <laughs> there's that whole, like, worst field goal percentage, I think, in the tournament in history or something set out there. Um, but one thing to note is, remember, they did come out after that first game where he had been dealing with a groin injury, I think it was. So that's something to keep in mind. Um in the San Diego State game, or honestly, in general, like I didn't really care for like his big struggles from three. We saw enough shooting all year to where I don't really care about the struggles from three. Um, I do think that we did see some of the struggles that came up earlier in the year where he wasn't able to get the best looks from two in the San Diego State game. Um, but he also had like shown his improvements where he did a much better job 
using his strength to push someone off and get a finisher. I think he even beat more guys on the perimeter in this game than he did when he was throwing earlier in the year. But San Diego State just had that help defense there waiting for him. Um, and he wasn't able to, to punish that. In terms of his passing, I thought he had a few unbelievable passes. I think he had at least two with those left hands to the roller, which was awesome. On the other hand, I think he had some awful turnovers. I think his decision-making in this game was probably my biggest knock on his game more than the uh, the, the efficiency struggles. I, I was more concerned with the decision-making in this game, honestly. Yeah, I concur. I think, like, I didn't come away from this game feeling any differently about Brandon, to be honest. I think, honestly, when I rewatched this one, I felt better about it than I did the first time I watched it just from a, like a long-term standpoint. Um, my biggest issues were just how loose his handle was in this game. I thought San Diego State did a really good job timing their second defender coming to attack his handle. Like they had his, you know, as you know, like he loves to go that behind the back off of ball screen. And they were so good at attacking that. Um, Cause that is like really high and loose from him. Um, I think you saw a lot of the, like just where his reads need to go and how they need to improve. Cause like, it, it just feels like a lot of his uh, – it was less the pick-and-roll passes and more of the in-the-flow-of-an-offense pass that I thought were bad from him. Like, it was – Yeah, and, and on a couple of drives, he missed some passes as well where he, like, there was a guy open on the opposite wing or, or opposite corner or even, like, the strong side corner, and he's like, no, I'll keep this myself or that – or, like, a couple of turnovers where he just forced some passes or telegraphed some passes. I, yeah, the, the decision-making was just the, the rough point for me. Yeah, and honestly, like, his – uh um his uh his shots like the shots that he had available to him that he took were a lot cleaner than I realized in the first time watching the game not that they were all like wide open or anything like that but I do think it kind of like you mentioned like a I don't know how much the Goring impacted him but also I think if that game was replayed I think he hits quite a few more of those shots like obviously there's always going to be variance but like I do think like it doesn't it's the the sh- at least like the sh- the field goal attempt to field goal make in the box score does not look at is not as bad in rewatching as I think it was when I first watched the game live. Yeah, I don't think he got that many good looks in this game. I still think most of them were tough looks, but I do think he does revert back to some old habits of forcing up some tough shots around the basket. That which is why his percentage around the basket looked so poor early in the year and then he got away from forcing up the tough shots and only taking good shots and then we saw like the percentages get better i thought he went back to forcing some some uh tough stuff up when he got into the paint or around the paint and like i said like i still think like he showed that he can beat a perimeter guy here and there but then the help was there more so than it has in other games but yeah like there was that transition layout that he missed that he has made a million times this year um but in terms of like what looks he got from three i don't think he got Maybe he got one good look from three this game. Like, but that's not always all on him. Like, that's sort of this San Diego State's defense being good. And Alabama wasn't able to create good enough looks for him because he's not the one who's self-creating every three um that he was doing all year. But yeah, I like I said, I didn't have as much problem with the struggles with his shooting or efficiency um scoring the ball in this game even the tournament in general i just thought the decision making was 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 really poor from him yeah no that's totally fair um i thought his defense was solid though 
and going rewatching, like I didn't again, I didn't feel any different about it. I don't think that it was a amazing defensive game. He had one of the nice uh recovery blocks after turning the ball over. Um I, I thought he was fine, but to be fair too, like I don't really think San Diego State had the kind of offense to try and make him work and make him uh not that I think he's a guy who's gonna get target, but you know what I'm saying. Like I don't I don't really think this was the kind of game where I was expecting him to really get exposed like attacked in any way yeah san diego state doesn't really have uh an offense unfortunately yeah, yeah that's a fair so point. yeah but their defense is awesome so like seeing brandon miller have to go up against that defense was a, a really good test and unfortunately he didn't have a good game there but like i said and like you said not the biggest worries i still think he showed enough this year to where that one game should not like even those three games shouldn't be changing your opinion too much unless you were viewing him in a different kind of thing where like this opened up to you but like Based off of how I viewed him heading into the tournament, this isn't going to change much, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I totally agree. All right, let's transition to Miami, uh, who has just been awesome to watch in this tournament. Uh, let's start. Where do you? How do you want to start with Miami? Um. Well, I just want to once again mention, like, we've talked about it, but like Nigel Pack had some ridiculous long range threes in the in the Houston game I think it was yeah I think um, he hit four threes in three minutes like that yeah, stretch it was, was pretty nuts yeah so shout out to him Once I, again, I just I do want to say on that game as a whole um Miami's defense is what really stood out to me like their offense was obviously very good but their ability to uh like force um I, I feel like in a way that very few teams have this year like they really pushed everything Houston wants to do up. Um, so like all of their DHOs were getting pushed above the break. Um, all of their ball, like every every ball screen was getting pushed up higher than they wanted to run it. Like I thought they did such a good job of forcing their offense to play out a lot higher, which sounds like uh, not a big deal. But I think in terms of what their spacing ended up being and just how things looked and how much pressure they were able to put on people, um, I was really impressed with that. Um, that was a really, really sound game plan and just really fun stuff to watch from uh, from Miami, even though it took down our darling Houston squad. Yeah, so should we talk about some Jordan Miller? Yeah, um, I am very thrilled to have, every, as you are, uh, everyone is starting to have their eyes open to Jordan Miller, not just as a basketball player, but as a prospect. And that has been very fun because – as much as it tends to get lofted on on Wong or Pack, and I think like they deserve it, but like Jordan Miller has been their best player all year, and I think he's been their best player in the tournament. As I think, I think he's been very clear. Like I don't think it's been close, honestly, either. Like sure, Isaiah Wong scores like what another point, like one point game, more more per game than he does, but I think Jordan Miller has been pretty clearly like and consistently their most impactful player all year, and we've seen it this tournament as well, to where like. Cool. Isaiah Wong will have one good game here, and then Nigel Pack will have the next game here, and then like but Jordan switch Miller off. has a good game like every game. Pretty like. much. No, it, yeah. it's pretty much though. That's the thing. Yeah. Like even when he's not being able to create for because because he, he isn't able to create for himself all the time. Like we, we know that, but like even when he's not able to do that, he's finding other ways to impact the game. Whether it's a drive here or a cut there or a nice pass or dunker spot, and then all the stuff he does on defense, he's just been pretty clearly their best player all year from the beginning of the season like it showed early in the year also yeah um I thought so going off the Houston game I thought defensively is where he really stood out for me like I think he did a lot <laughs> of very good things offensively but like 
he was a obviously very good off the ball, but he was really big in saying stopping Jarris Walker is an own for way to put it, but like in forcing Jarris to be just away from the basket in general. Like, um, part of that is like to be fair, and that's a detriment to Jarris. Like, part of it was Jarris was like really not good at trying to use his size and physicality, but also Jordan was just really good with positioning and trying to push him off his spots and getting into his handle. Um, so that was really fun to watch from him. Yeah. Like the one thing, I mean, that's been Jairus's issue or my issue with Jairus for most of the year is he doesn't use his size or his physicality to actually drive through players to get to the basket when he is around that, like when he is driving, he's settling for a floater and not going through them. Um, so like, I don't, as much as I like Jordan Miller, I don't want to give him too much credit yeah, for that sure. in this game, just because I think regardless of who has been on Jairus, that has been an issue. Well, um, where I would Jairus. go to off that, he was really like, cause so much of what they did to really try and bother Houston was hedging like really hard. Um, and Jordan, like, I, I don't want to get like, just like too carried away about his wingspan, but like his wingspan has got to be nuts. He's so, I cannot, I'm very interested to see what he measures at at the combine. I feel like he's a plus five guy, probably plus five or plus six, which seems like a ton. Um, but he's, it's part of what allows him to play so much bigger than he is. Like he's six, seven, but I think like he just feels so much bigger on the court because of how he can extend. And um, he was really big and just kind of fucking shit up in what they were able to do. Cause like, I mean, Houston's dealt with two to the ball all year, but they really struggled getting the ball to the short role playmaker. Uh, and I think a lot of that was their ability to just play with length and play with activity at the level of the screen. Um, and he was big in that. Um, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. I, I just wanted to also like to shout out though. Like I, I do think that when we're going to the offensive end, Jordan Miller did have that one nice drive against Jairus, but I do think for the most part, like Jairus was able to shut down Jordan Miller as well. Um, and I think Jairus cut off three or four drives and we'll, we'll talk about Jairus a little bit more in, in a bit, but just talk about Jordan Miller as a prospect. He just does so much um, for you and he's a good connector. Where do you stand on the shot though? Cause I know um, you and I have, have, have talked about him a decent amount and we both like him a lot. I know you recently brought up um, on game theory that you think he can be a top 35 guy, um, which is like, yeah, fr fringe first pretty much. And I don't, I don't disagree. I think that's a very reasonable take, um, but he has been someone who hasn't really gotten any draft recognition at all this year. So what would you, what would your sell be for people who haven't really watched enough Jordan Miller yet? Yeah. Um, I think obviously the shot is going to be the biggest question. Um, I honestly like, it's just kind of at the stage of, I wish he would just take more. Like, I don't, like, I know the percentages aren't amazing and it fluctuated a little bit this year. Um, but like, obviously he hit a big three in the Houston game, um, when he was left open. I think mechanically it looks fine to me. Like, I don't expect him to be a movement shooter or anything. Um, but I think that there's enough like requisite touch there that, I think he should be capable of taking more of them, but even like, so let's say, all right, let's say if in the NBA, he is like a 35 ish percent shooter on like decent volume. I still think that that's enough. Um, like I want it to be better. And I think getting it higher and having it be better is going to be important for his highest outcomes. But um, I was talking about this with a scout uh, after I said that on game theory because they hit me up after it came out. Um, 
I just kind of view him in like the, and I, again, I'm not trying to make a comps, but I just, I like using comps because I do this, but at least realistic comps. I think it helps people get a better idea. To me, he's a lot like a slightly more athletic version of Torrey Craig with better feel for the game. That's how I would view him. I think he has a little bit better of a handle too. Um, like he's just somebody who can, can make winning plays across the board. Like, okay, if he's being sagged off of, he can attack the glass. If he needs to play the three, he's capable of defending the three. If he needs to play the four, he can defend the four. I don't really want him defending fives, but I also don't think that it's like the worst thing in the world if he has to spend a possession or two there. Like we know he can guard guards. I'm comfortable with him getting over screens. He's going to be a really good off the ball defender and who can stunt and dig. Um, and I trust him to continue making things happen within the flow of a play. Like you mentioned, even with him getting caught off by Jairus, I thought he was good at still getting the ball to the middle of the floor and moving it and then moving himself. So like, he's not somebody who, if he gets to the middle of the floor and gets cut off, he doesn't just dish the ball and stand there or like back up. Like he dishes the ball and he gets the fuck out of the way. And that is like, granted, it's not, perfect i want it to be better i think it is going to need to continue to get better and a lot of that is the three but even on going off that like part of what's been so impactful and good for him this year uh in a way that i didn't expect and part of what was really fun in watching this team develop is like you got to see a little bit of his george mason bag come out where that was more like okay if you're defending me with a smaller guy. I have enough of a handle and I'm strong enough to take you towards the rim, either draw a foul or finish through contact. Cause he shot really well just around the rim in general this year. Uh, and he has like a solid post game. Like he has a really solid post game. And again, like I don't expect that to be a thing always, but like, I think in terms of just, I have size, I have strength and I have touch. I can take advantage of it. Um, and granted, like, Again, when he's being defended by somebody like Jairus Walker all the time, I think that's where you do see some of the problems poke up. But I don't think that that's going to be a thing we see all the time. Um, but and, and you brought, and you brought up his strength, right? And I think like he might not have like the best frame or anything, but I think he he's does very a really. Strong. I think he does a really really good job using his strength that he has, though. And like he drove through Trace Jackson Davis at the end of that one game last week. Or I guess a week and a half, two weeks ago now. Um, but yeah, in terms of like what he can create for himself, it's mostly like, okay, if he catches the ball on the move, I think he's pretty solid there. And he has is able to use his strength if he already has the downhill momentum to go through someone and get to the rim. But if it's from a standstill and you have someone like Jairus on you, that's when you're most likely going to be cut off and have to result in your turnaround jumpers. And that's what you don't want to see at the next level, which to be fair, he's not going to be has to do this much the next level either. So it's like, okay, he's shown that he can hit some of those turnaround jumpers, um, but he won't be asked to do that. So it's not that big of a deal. Whenever we look at these role players, they're able to do more in college. So like, we don't want to be like, oh, you don't, it doesn't matter that you can't do it now because you won't do it at the next level. Like a lot of role players in the NBA were much tasked with much more than they are. um, They were in college. Right. So I, I think that what he can do, from a standstill versus getting the ball off movement is 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 important, but his handle at his size also was pretty impressive. And you could run some pick and roll stuff or DHO stuff with him. Once again, not that he's going to be doing it that likely, but he's just able to impact the game in so many different ways. Exactly. And I think like kind of what we're hitting on a little bit, and I think like we have just in general, like he uh uh doing what he does with like just being consistent 
is so incredibly valuable um, because so much of what a rookie contract is, is helping a player become consistent in what they do or like allowing for somebody to develop into that. And I think to me, I view him as somebody who is coming in who's playing consistently already. Like I, I really value that. I really value all of the things that he does on the court. I, I try not to get like overly caught up in somebody who does like all of the little things, but like he legitimately is just the guy who does all of the little things. And a lot of them are big things too. So. But one more thing before I move on, you know where I stand on the age kind of conversation, but he's obviously a lot older than most players. Um, where do you stand on him? Like, this is his fifth year in college already. How do you take that into account in your evaluation? And when you compare him to these guys who are four or five years younger than he is? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing to me will be how comfortable do you feel in developing a shot? Because if you have, like, I, I think I said this on Game Theory too. I'm like, if you have any confidence in developing a shot to like average, I'm drafting him in the first round. Because I think I that, like, I legitimately think that he is a top eight rotation player comfortably if he shoots 35, 36% from three on like decent volume, like I, that's a no brainer for me. And I think exactly like we're talking about, and I understand like a lot more people who are like, Oh, well, you know, I want to take risk with this. I'm like, okay, well, most, a lot of teams, there are a lot of teams, especially towards the back end of the draft that are not here to get risky that need a rotation player. And even if you, I, I, I just want to reframe risk in the draft sometimes too. Like it's just, I get the idea of like projecting upside and everything, but exactly like you mentioned, and I think you and I had a great conversation about Chris Duarte a couple of years ago, obviously things have not, you know, completely gone well for him just because of injuries and, and whatnot. But I think to me, that's what I think about with Jordan Miller. Like, okay, so much gets brought up on, well, he's this age, he's this, he's that. He has upside just like anyone else. And well, it is definitely different because of age. The idea that, okay, if I can, plug and play this guy into a system right now, play him 15 to 20 minutes a game. And he has the opportunity to develop and get those real game reps in minutes. Like then, I mean, he could have a lot more potential than I think you're potentially, you know, giving out to somebody who is more of a fringe first guy who is 18 or 19. So it's like, I, I know that's like a really long tangent, but. No, yeah. I actually would want to dig deeper into age at some point later in the cycle, but like, Whenever we, we've had guys like even Keegan Murray last year, people were talking about age or Cam Johnson, Corey Kisper, even Jalen Brunson, Chris Duarte, like age always gets brought up. And sure, there are older players who don't work out as well, but like age always gets brought up for some of these older players. And sometimes like just being good at basketball is sometimes all you need. And then going into the like the risk part for late first, like just finding a rotation player in the late first can also open up so many trade opportunities as well to where like having a rotation player, like let's say you think he's going to be an eighth man, right? Having an eighth man, first of all, is very valuable to have on a team regardless, um, especially on a rookie contract. Second of all, it opens up the possibilities to making trades to bring in upgrades, right? Because sometimes it's hard to, to find those star players. If a star player comes available, obviously it's not going to be built around your eighth man or anything, but it just, it just helps. And just having rotation players. And we've seen trades happen a lot recently where, yeah, these, these younger players are going to be included in trades, but long story short, just because he's older doesn't mean he doesn't have upside. You can say that you think he's going to be an eighth, eighth man. doesn't mean he can't ever be a starter. Like let's say the shot gets to 37% on, on, on better volume and he's still doing everything else gets a little bit 
better with some of the offensive skills as well. And you might have like a fifth starter on a team or a seventh man, right? Yeah, um, no, exactly. Like you're saying, like, I don't think that it's ridiculous at all that he could become a starter in the NBA if things really kind of pop with his shot. And like, even then, like, it could even be less about a shot. Like, maybe some other development happens that we're not expecting. Like, um, it's just, I, I think exactly like you're mentioning, it's just like being open to development, even if he's not 18 or 19. Like, he's obviously different than Dorian Finney-Smith, right? But, like, Dorian Finney-Smith has been a starter. Like, there's if, if if everything works out for Jordan Miller, there's no reason that he can't get to that kind of level, I think, with with everything that he does. Yeah, no, I can I completely agree. And that's no, like, shot at Dorian Finney-Smith. I think, I think Dorian is actually a really, really awesome player. But, like, you can be a starter. Like, there's not some crazy outcome for him. So, so I'm with you, um, and I, I don't think top 25 top 35 is any kind of bull take at all i think it's very reasonable good okay what else do you want to talk about on this one do you have any um, other miami shouts no i mean i think we already both mentioned that like wuga had an awesome tournament um he's someone who can break out next year we've talked about um the, the other guards i think omir norchad had some awesome rebounding in the houston game um, not too interested as a prospect though, but I'm down to move over to Houston if you are. Yeah, definitely. Uh Jarris's game was, I mean, honestly, kind of a lot of the same. Like I thought the defense from Jarris was fantastic in this game. The rebounding was not. Uh part of that was like you mentioned, I thought Norchad was really good in this game. One of the biggest things I just really want to see Jarris improve is finding a body on defense. Like I think when the shot goes up, he has the tendency to just kind of wait for it to come down. Um, and that's not great for being an awesome rebounder. Um, so I do think that kind of killed him on the glass on the defensive part. I actually like, I think he had some really nice ones at the end of the game, but on some of like the, the offensive rebounds that Miami got, I don't want to criticize Jarris too much for it because a lot of the time it was like, I think it was Miami drove to the basket. Houston had like Jawan Roberts have to come and contest the shot at the rim. So Norchad already had positioning at the basket because Jarris is on the opposite wing pretty much. He's the one who had to drop down. Norchad already has positioning under the basket. So it's more of like, okay, you're not in the best position to get the three bond anyways, um, just because Miami was able to draw over the big to contest the shot. So I don't want to criticize him too much for that. Um, I thought he had some decent rebounds in the second half as well. Um, but in terms of the overall game, I thought this was Jarris's. I want to say maybe his best offensive game outside of like the scoring side of things. I thought that he had some awesome passing um, in this game to where, yeah, he made, made a couple of shots. Cool. And he's had like, he's had higher scoring performances and he did have that Virginia short roll pass game earlier in the year, but I thought his passing in this game was more, much more versatile than it was earlier in the year. I thought yeah. this might have uh, probably behind was the back the, to the slot to Sasser was sick. yeah out of the pick and pop. There was yeah. that. And there then he had the no look, look pass. Yeah, exactly. Look, no roll. Oh, I think this yeah. is probably his best passing game and sure. The Virginia one maybe had an extra pass or two more, but I think this was the more of a variety of passes that he showed in different kind of um, in different scenarios. So I thought that from this aspect was like outside of scoring, this is like one of my favorite offensive games from him, which I liked a lot. And then on defense, I thought he was just awesome. Cut off like four or five Jordan Miller drives. He's always uh, special on defense. He's yeah, like, no, he's. I just get it was a really, play. really awesome game from him. But like, um, I, I just really like the passing from him this game. I want to add something too. 
because this is something you know i was writing about jane mcdaniels yesterday and i i'm going somewhere with this promise uh but like what's so interesting to me in jarris and probably why i'm just a lot higher on his offensive game improving overall like obviously a lot's going to depend on what intel is from teams uh, four teams on like what his uh how he views his own development and how active he is in trying to make that happen. Like, I think from everything I've heard, he seems like incredibly motivated to be awesome at what he does. Um, but uh, like, I view the things that he needs to get better on on offense as things that can all be mostly worked on and repped out. Like, I think a lot of it for me is just really continuing to refine his footwork. I think his footwork kind of sucks on offense right now for being mm-hmm. blunt. like, I think the footwork really needs to improve. I think just like the ability to gather needs to improve. Obviously a lot of his mentality too. Like I think he just needs to have somebody just tell him and repeatedly tell him and ingrain it in himself that it's okay to be physical, but he's somebody I look at where with what the handle is, if you can really improve the footwork, improve the ability for him to get his strides going more. Cause I think like he is so choppy. And when I mentioned Jaden McDaniels, it reminds me a lot of watching Jaden McDaniels his first year, year and a half in the NBA uh, where everything was really choppy off the catch. Everything with the off live dribble just felt like you could see the idea, but the footwork wasn't there. The ability to do everything fluidly in one motion wasn't there. And I think like that's stuff that can really come along because that like for it's year three for Jane McDaniels. And it's really started to pop for him over the last month where he's finding a little bit of the pacing and ability to actually get the most out of his length and his size because, like, there were so many times during his first few years where it was like, okay, yeah, Jaden McDaniels is 6'10", but it feels like he's 6'6", or 7'2", because of what some of the differences and and how he is able to put things together, how he's not. And I think it's a lot of the similarity in how I view Jairus' game and what he needs to do to continue to improve uh, in face-up and off-the-dribble stuff. And uh, I'm just really optimistic about that happening. Um, so, so you're more optimistic on the face-up game now than you were earlier in the year, and do you buy, like, you buy some scoring upside on ball stuff with him? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Not that I think he's going to be like a 20 point per game scorer, but I think just based on what the touch is and uh, what it could be, I am pretty open to that becoming a, a real outcome for him. I think that's fair. I'm on, the, I'm more on the skeptical side there, but fair. I also, but I also realize that it's a possibility. I do think he has some really nice handles that like, so he's had some really nice handle moves to get into his spots, but I still think with him, it's going to be, and I don't think it's all footwork. I do think it's going to be a mental approach as well. He has changed his mentality and changes approach as well, where it comes to the physicality, it comes to, Oh, okay. I don't want to step for these long. Like so many of his self-created shots still are long pull-up twos and some of them are just like one dribble pull-ups as well to where I'm like, okay, well, that's not that much self-creation. If he's not driving through someone, I don't buy it that much. I agree that it's um, a possibility with him. I'm more skeptical there. But with that being a possibility to go with his defense and also the role that I envision him on is like, okay, he can just really good cutter, hopefully the shot continues to be good use him in pick and roll pick and pop have him attack tilt the defenses and all this kind of stuff and use his passing and quick decision making as well there put all of that with defense and you still have an awesome awesome player yeah so if you take that as like where i buy him more but still take like the even if i don't buy the upside of the scoring 
I do realize it's a possibility. Like that's still just, that's just a really, really, really good prospect. Yeah, no, precisely. And I, exactly. Like I, I, I'm more optimistic about you happening about it happening, but uh, even if it doesn't happen, I think that's part of what's exciting about him and why I'm so high on him as a player is because just like the, the baseline floor he already has as a potential player is really exciting to me. Um, I'll, on so his, in terms of him sorry. getting his own shot, in terms of him getting his own shot, do you think it would be more of like a perimeter, like wing kind of guy getting their shots or more of like how Siakam gets his shots for himself? I think he has to be like Siakam. Okay. Like, that's, that's, not, that's what I was going to yeah, say. I'm not a big that. believer in him becoming like this massive pull-up shooter. Okay. Like that. I think like, that's much more realistic. And once again, that does come back to him having to change his approach and how he's yeah. dealing with physicality and how he's going to take advantage of his body and strength on, on drives. But he does have the, the coordination and the handles to be able to, to get to those kind of spots if he can use his strength to his advantage. Um, and I do think that is much more likely. And that is something that I am more willing to buy into than him becoming some pull-up guy where like, cool, he has shown pull-up flashes this year. I don't disagree with that. That is where my concern comes with him though, is I don't think this pull-up will ever be and. I don't think it will be at a consistent enough rate where it's going to be part of his offense. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, did you have any other Houston thoughts on this game? Um, Jamal Mark had an awesome start. Yeah. That was really, really awesome. I still view him as someone who's probably a little bit under-discussed. I think he has a game that can scale back quite easily. But I do, like, it's tough because he wasn't the most consistent player this year. But at the same time, they have so many different options and weapons that it's, I think it's tough to be that. Like even Jarish from a production standpoint, I don't think Jarish was that consistent from a production standpoint, like in terms of numbers, right? Like he was always having that impact on the defensive end. But like, if you go through his game log, you're going to go ahead and find a bunch of games um, where he just didn't have that many points and he just wasn't having the biggest impact there. Um so I think it's interesting, right? Like Jairus has multi- like a lot of games under like eight points in the game. So like, I don't want to criticize Tremont Mark too much for not having the most consistent season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I do like him, his physicality. I, I like his shot. I think he can get to his spots. Um, a little bit of passing flashes. But I, I think like shooting and, and physicality are his, are his two cells right now. Yeah, no, I agree. Exactly like you said, that's who I wanted to bring up. He was really fun in the first half um just in that start in general and obviously things kind of went a little bit wayward for him uh and the whole team for being completely blunt but uh i don't think i have any other real where, where are you on his shot where are you on his shot because like i i think he's a decent shooter um only shot 30 like 32.8 percent from three this year so the numbers weren't great but i do buy a little bit more uh 36 percent in conference play actually 38 percent in 19 of their top 100 games but um yeah, where are you on on his shot in general? I feel pretty solid about it. Like, I think it would really just help for him to be in a place that's encouraging him to shoot more. Not that he wasn't encouraged to hear, but I think just given what the... So often it's like, okay, well, attack a closeout because of what the initial defense is like. Um, like, it's not him initiating sets. It's mostly like, okay, get into your mid-range shot or get to the rim. And I really like his, his mid-range game. Like, I... like. He gets so like I clipped one earlier because I, you know me, I love somebody who has a, a like a mean leg flare on their kick, and he has 
like the meanest leg flare on his jumper. Yeah, I, I know exactly what I adore that so time. much in a basketball. Player. I don't even think I saw you posted it, but I I rewatched the game yesterday. and I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the first shot he hits in the game off of an ATO. Um, or no, it's just not a bounce play, but um, yeah, like I like he gets so much air on it, and like he just has really good touch with it too. I really buy the shot becoming something more realistic. Um, yeah, the numbers don't really back it up, but I'm I'm somewhat optimistic there. Um, but that is something where like I I understand that it's not easiest to buy into given his priors and numbers. Like he, I mean, he didn't play much last year. Only played seven games, but didn't shoot well last year. And then twenty four point three percent his first year. So we've seen improvements every year, but it's still not even an average shot. But I do I, I do buy it to a certain extent. Maybe I was overselling a little bit in my first talk, but. No, I, I still buy it, the shot to a certain extent. I like his game. Um, and if the shot, if you're able just to play him off the ball, have him shoot there, have him attack closeouts a little bit, a little bit of passing, uses physicality. And I think he has some nice finishes as well, even though the finishing is not consistent. Just, I think there's like three or four different areas of his game that just need like a small bit of improvement. And then I think you have a really solid uh, role player. I agree. Um, did you have any thoughts on Sasser? Um, the thing with that, the thing with Sasser is I honestly thought he was going to be like much more dominant this year than he was. And it's not to say he didn't have a good year because he was still awesome this year. Probably their best player. Um, don't think he was particularly good in the Miami game though. If we're just going to go down to that game, he, had like that one nice fly ball, fly by three in the corner. You know, I love my fly by threes. Yes, um, he also had that like pump fake, try to draw a foul on a three, which was nice. But then he like that next play down, he tried to do it again, doesn't get the call and just forces up an awful shot. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think he was that, that good in this game. And that was, I think a big part of their struggles. They needed him to step up a lot more than he did. Cause like them losing pretty easily by like double digits, with like how poor their second half was with having like a decent Jarris game or a really good Jarris game, a decent Tremont Mark game from the start. Like you would think they have a much better game, but I don't think Sasser was good enough in this one. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Um, he's someone I want to go back and watch more of to get a better vibe on as a prospect. Um, like I think like he obviously is a very real prospect. He improved his two point scoring quite a bit this year, which I think was monumental obviously a nutty pull-up shooter and somebody who can just do a lot of things. I just, uh, I just, I don't know. I want, he's somebody who I definitely want to go back and like watch like every pick and roll possession from this year and get like a better vibe on how I feel about him as a passer and playmaker. Um, Cause I feel like I was always watching for Jarris or, you know, just looking out for other things. And I never really made that front of mind, but yeah, I, I concur. Uh, we only have a couple more things to get to. We want to talk about Xavier in the Texas game uh yeah go ahead um I, i'll start i guess quickly i like overall i think we talked about it a little bit last week i don't think colby jones had the best tourney unfortunately uh-huh. um i wanted to see much more from him this tournament don't think he was able to to get the best looks for himself i don't think his finishing was as good as it had been in the past um but Overall, like I still think he was able to find ways to impact the game. It just wasn't that like that dominant Colby that we saw like the previous month of the season. 
Yeah, uh, he finished, I think, 7-15 from the floor, which doesn't seem terrible on surface, but almost, I think, I think four of his makes were out of transition. Um, so it was like, and I don't want to just chalk it up to them winning with, uh, I mean, him starting to put stuff up when they were going away, but I do think that played a large part in it. Like, mm-hmm. um, like Texas' defense really eased up as the game went on. They pushed a ton and made shit in transition when they were down 25. So it's just, I don't really have a ton of takeaways from that. We've seen him do that all year. Um, he kind of struggled with contact around the rim in general when it was in the half court, which has been, you know, the thing. It all depends on how good the floater is. Um, I thought the defense was solid. You know, it's the the usual, um, but I didn't have anything really change up for me. In this yeah, game. it's tough to take too many, like, good takeaways from the Xavier team. Like, Kunkel was probably their only, like, standout player in this game um everything everyone else struggled I, I would say colby was still probably their second best player in this game just wasn't up to his standards um i thought this in regards to texas though i thought tyrese hunter has done a much better job attacking the basket the yeah. last couple of games than he did throughout the year and you and i talked about it on a playback stream and out and on this pod before is I don't think he's looked to attack the basket as often this year as he did at Iowa State. But these last couple of weeks, I think he has started to look to be more aggressive with that. And he, he's been productive with it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That It's been really nice to see because honestly, like, I don't want to be short-sighted, but like, because uh, I didn't watch every single Texas game this year. But like, I think I've felt the best about his tournament games out of all the games I've watched from him this year in terms of just what he's actually doing from a prospect standpoint. So I hope this continues as a trend. Agreed. And then also, Serge Barry Rice deserves a shout out as well. Oh, um, God, dude. He was so good. He was yeah, so I, good. Uh, he's been awesome. He's been awesome. Um, in terms of just like, okay, yes, we, we all love his pump fake. We 100% do. But the thing with him compared to like someone like Kaluma, who uses a pump fake a lot, is if you don't bite on his pump fake, he's more than happy to let it fly from three. And he'll knock down a three as well. So he's able to use his three-point threat as a weapon to make you bite on it. And then when you do bite on it, he's able to attack it and, and finish himself or kick it out. So just seeing how defenses go about his pump fake, because you know every single scouting report is don't bite on his pump. Or like he has a great pump fake. He has a great pump fake. But if you don't bite on it, then you see him make three or four threes in a row. And then like, okay, well, then what am I supposed to do? Um, sure, he that can't be the only part of his game. I, I do think he is someone though, that deserves two-way consideration. If not a two-way, like 100%, like a summer league E10 preseason camp kind of thing. Um, but I do think he does deserve two-way consideration for how he's played this year. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. He was really fun to watch in the tournament. Um, was probably, would you say he's the best player in the tournament? I think I'd say he's the best player in the tournament. Um, Tyrese was really good, but I would probably go with Serge. Uh, Actually, wait, never he, mind. No, and was because yeah, I forgot he was, yeah, when he was I mean, playing, he yeah. was it. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, so what else do we have? We want to go to uh, the the Creighton game. So Princeton, uh, the Creighton Princeton game. I will let you hit away on this one because I did not get to watch either of the Creighton games back. Okay, um, so. I think with Creighton, nothing was too like different than what we've saw, what we've seen this year. Um, I think 
we have like the one thing that came in this tournament is we saw like Cockbenner become more of a scorer. We saw it in the NC State game. Um, I think we saw it in in the Princeton game as well. Right? Like NC State, he had 31. He only had 10 versus Baylor, but 22 versus Princeton, 17 um versus 17 or 17 versus San Diego State. But we were able to see how his role gravity affected the offense as well. And he was catching lobs, and then when he wasn't catching lobs, they were helping on him, and it was opening up passes to the strong or to the weak side corner, and just his role gravity was big. I think in the San Diego State game, I'll talk about that for a second. Is he was um, a he was able to what's it called? Um, he was really good in the San Diego State game in the first half. He had like a three or four minute stretch in the second half that sort of like he missed like three or four finishes at the basket. And that sort of was like what put things away for Creighton. Um, the thing with, with, with Cockbender, it's been the same thing all year round is when he gets the ball down low with good positioning, he's generally a really good finisher, but if you make him catch the ball outside of the paint and make him back you down, you're probably in an all right spot. Even if you are smaller than him or weaker than him, and it's supposed to be a mismatch, he's not the best at punishing that. So same old, same old with Cockbender. I think just a little bit more efficient or like a little bit more scoring. Um, as for like the other players, I think they were all on the same kind of things as well. Like Kaluma was using his pump fake. He had a couple of nice turnaround jumpers, but inconsistent shot. Uh, Baylor Shireman had some really nice shooting against Princeton, though. Um, yeah, I guess I guess it is all this the same stuff with them, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, well, good to know. Those are things that I do want to get back into watching, but um, I just did not end up having the time. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the Final Four before we get out of here? Um, it'll be interesting. I think UConn is the best team left, but I've enjoyed watching Miami the most this year Yes, out of the four, so it's tough. That will be a really, really fun one to watch. And then obviously we got one of San Diego State or FAU in the national championship, so that will be interesting. Um, what do you think happens? What do, Not what you want, but what do you think happens? What I think happens... I... I mean... I'm I'm trying to think. Um I will take Miami over Yukon because they didn't even have that great of a Nigel Pack game in this last game, which maybe that ends up continuing this game. But I'm just like my biggest thing that Yukon has struggled with this year is containing guards that can go off and they have Nigel Pack and Isaiah Long. And obviously that could go awry for them. Like, okay, what if Nigel and Isaiah really struggle to get things going in, in the half court? Then yeah, it could look really bad for Miami. But I also think that is like the exact type of player who has given UConn the most trouble this year, other than Bryce Hopkins. Um, but I think like that, that is just my mindset headed into this. And this, I don't know, this Miami team just feels like. Obviously, yeah, they, like they also have a much better defense than Gonzaga to where like they should be able to not have as many breakdowns if they want to help off Andre uh, Andre Jackson. So that will be interesting to see how that is approached. Are they going to, to help off of Andre Jackson and make him do what he did against Gonzaga and like force him and say, no, we can just do a better job. Or are they going to say like, Oh no, he did a great job here. Let's not defend him this way. So that'll be interesting to see how they come out and do it. But I agree. Um, Actually, I don't know. I honestly don't know who I want to take in this game. I do think UConn has played much better recently. Um, but I've always been of the 
idea that just having good guard play is so important in the tournament. And I've mentioned it on our last three pods here is when you have Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack, you only need one of them to work out pretty much. And then you're going to get your consistent Jordan Miller production. Wuga has been pretty awesome. Norchad Omir, like they just have so many different kind of weapons um, to where I think it's much more predictable to game plan for UConn than it is for Miami. Um, but if, you get like a bad Isaiah Wong game or a bad Nigel Pack game, and that allows you kind of get out in transition. I am pretty worried. Yeah. And I think part of what's kind of fun too, is like, I don't think that they have like anybody who I'm going to just be like, Oh, they're going to contain Jordan Miller. Cause like, I think that's, that's another exciting aspect too. Um, especially with like, it's going to be really fun to see what they do with Sonogo and Donovan Klingon in this game. Uh, like, how do they try and weigh which guy to go with, who plays more minutes? Because I think this could sneakily be a very rough game for Adamas and Ogo. Um, but it could also be a huge game for him, and he just, like, bludgeons them on the other end, and they are able to force – they're able to live with with what ends up happening. But I don't I don't know. It's, there's a lot of really so fun stuff to watch. are we going to have Caravan defending Jordan Miller? Is that what we're expecting? I would think so, because, like, I don't think he could guard Wuga Poplar. Yeah, no, I would assume it's Jordan Miller and Caravan matched up. At least Caravan on Jordan Miller. So, I would, like, that's one where I'd want to see, like, okay, let's see if Jordan Miller's drive game can come alive in this game. Yeah. Um, from a Miami, like, winning perspective, but also from a, from a prospect perspective, an evaluation kind of thing. Like, if you are going to get this chance, this is something that you – need to take advantage of if because if he can't attack caravan consistently then there's going to be some worries with that part of the game as well yeah no 100 percent um do you have thoughts on the other side of the bracket um it should be a really fun game i think san diego state's defense is just really really tough um to deal with even with like the three-point luck like they've gotten like with their defense um they're just really, really good really sound and they're like a physical team as well the, the, the cool thing about fau though is they will go on some crazy runs. Like you can be up by eight and a minute later there it's a tie game. And they do this because they get out and they run and they're, they're not afraid to shoot in transition or anything. So I'm just excited. That's going to be an interesting game. Um, I don't have any like too strong of a takeaway there. Like if you said I had to pick one, even though I want FAU, I think I'd go San Diego state, but I'm just excited for a fun game. Yeah, me too, man. I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm, I'm pulling for a, a for Atlantic Miami national title game that That'd would be, be very really exciting that would, would be, be very funny. fun florida represent uh in houston <laughs> yeah uh that would be hilarious but yeah i'm all in on it I, regardless this has been such a fun turn you run we had a we had a nice little pod today do you have any other closing thoughts before we get out of here um no i, I don't have any closing thoughts today awesome well zach this was a blast everyone listening if you haven't already be sure to go join us over on our playback account, uh, follow us on Twitter at tag the role. We will be watching obviously the final four games and the national title game over there. Uh, we'll, we will not be doing anything on Friday, uh, cause we both have stuff going on in the evening. Um, but on Saturday through Monday, we will, cause obviously the women's national title game will happen as well. We will watch that and it's going to be a good game whenever whoever ends up playing that. But regardless, thank you for being here. Go follow everything we're doing. And most importantly, Have a good rest of your day.